entitled An App That Can Save Lives, brought by LSE Works and the LSE Complexity Group. Our speakers tonight, we have three, we have a panel, um, are our very own Eve Middleton-Kelly, um, who is founder and director of the Complexity Research Programme at LSE, and perhaps also, most importantly, member of the World Economic Forum's Global Agenda Council on Complex Systems. Professor Middleton-Kelly um, has worked previously in, in government and for um, or since 19, 1988, she has been an academic at the London School of Economics. She's a policy advisor in Europe and the USA, um, to the European Commission, to several UK government departments, and scientific advisor to the government of Australia, Brazil, Canada, Netherlands, Singapore, and so on. She's developed a theory of complex social systems and an integrated methodology using both quantitative and qualitative tools and methods, and this theory is being used in teaching at universities around the world. Eve will be our first speaker. She will then be followed by Dr. Paul Lukovich, who is scientific lead of the EU project Socionical and scientific director of Embedded Intelligence, German Research Center for Artificial Intelligence, DFKI, in Germany. And our final speaker tonight, who will be taking a policymaker's perspective, is Nestor Alfonso Santa Maria. Nestor is a lead in business resilience for the City of London Corporation, where he's part of the Security and Contingency Planning Group. Um, educated in Venezuela, um, he has experience that includes working with business protection, with responsibility for business continuity, risk governance, and information security for both HM government and in other fields such as political risk analysis, violence prevention abroad. Nestor's work with international organizations in Latin America including, included helping communities deal with complex emergencies such as refugee crises complicated by flooding and human infectious disease outbreaks. Our three speakers are going to talk for about an hour. We have a detailed presentation, and then there'll be the opportunity for um, questions from the floor, and there will be discussion across the panellists, um, so there'll be an opportunity to engage with the work. But there's quite a lot to get through, so without further ado, can I open <coughs> the session by inviting Eve to give her presentation. Thank you, Thank you very much. Um, what I would like to do is, first of all, to give you an outline of the Socionical European Project, because the, all the work that we've done in this particular app that we will be talking about has, in fact, been developed as part of that project. Um, so, so I'll give you a very brief um, outline um, of that, and, but I will focus very much on um, also uh, the, um, the four different contexts um, within which um, um, it could be used. Um, then it will be for the science behind the app will be provided by Paul and Nestor, policymakers' perspective. 
Um, so Sionicol is a four-year European project uh, funded by the Future Emerging Technologies, 14 partners in 10 different countries. What the project has been funded to do is to look at evacuation following an emergency, um, but also at traffic flows. Now, the whole point is ambient intelligence technology to facilitate evacuation and traffic. This is where the app comes in, because your mobile phone is an ambient intelligence uh, device. Uh, and Paul will, in fact, tell you all, all about that. But also is underpinned by complexity theory, which is where the LSE Complexity Research Group comes in, because we've developed a theory of complex social systems, an integrated methodology. What our work is, is to address apparently intractable problems um, by identifying the multidimensional problem space and creating in what we call endogenous enabling environments that co-evolve with a changing exogenous external environment. Now, we will not be talking about this. All I want to do here is to give you a little bit of context before we go on to the app. Um, and the whole thing, of course, is based on an analysis using the principles of complexity. These are some of the principles um, on the right. The main one I want you to look at is creation um, of new order, which is what um, distinguishes complex systems from complicated systems. The LSE group's contribution in the project has been primarily working with policymakers in the UK and other countries. <clears throat> um, so we've conducted a set of face-to-face -face interviews with policymakers. The main thing we wanted to understand was what are the challenges in preparing and implementing contingency plans. If we're looking at evacuation after a disaster, this is precisely what we wanted to understand. Um, how do they prepare plans and how do they implement them in practice? Um, and we had workshops with all these um, organizations. Um, now, you remember, I don't think anyone can forget, 7-7 in London and also 9-11. Um, we started with these two events because they really were major disasters. Um, and one of the things we found was that communication was absolutely key and at the heart of both incidents. Unfortunately, in both cases, communication um, was not was what it could have been or should have been. Um, the other thing we've done in trying to understand that background and that context was um, attending exercises by the London Fire Brigade and local authority. But the thing that I will be concentrating more on is two um, uh, trials that we organized to trial the app. Now, this app was not in, initially um, um, intended to be developed by Socionicol. Those of you who understand complexity theory, if I say it was purely emergent um, and self-organized, you will understand what I'm talking about. It's happened that three of us, three partners, two technical partners who had the capacity, and us in London who were able to, to, to work with policymakers, actually um, um, uh, um, developed it and trialed it. 
Um, it was also tr so it was trialed during both the 2011 and 2012 Lord Mayor Show in London. Um, and we were part of the con control center. During the 2012 Olympics, it was also trialed within the city of Westminster, and we also trialed it during the West End Live Festival. In addition, after the 2011 trial at the Lord Mayor Show, um, um, the, the show is very much um, um, organized by the City of London Police, or at least the, um, the control center is very much um, organized by them. They were quite pleased with their results. Um, and um, what we've done now is actually developed an app specially for the City of London Police. Um, it's primarily for the city business community and the residents, but it also has a special warning in form fixture that can be activated in case of an emergency. And we, can, we intend to have a future seminar with the City of London Police um, to actually describe it. Um, going back to socionical, this is very much part of what um, um, we are doing. We're looking very much at the impact on human decision-making and <coughs> social um, dynamics, and that's part of what I will be talking about. Um, again, the LSE leads on two deliverables. Um, one is seminars for policymakers, and we had several of those, and then a set of guidelines and recommendations for policymakers. We've also organized and edited a volume to be published by Springer in the spring of 2013. So you will actually have a, lo a lot of that work available um, quite soon. Okay, let's look at the Socionical app. Um, the Socionical app is for iPhones. Uh, that was primarily in 2011, but this year it was also made available for, for Android. Now, what it does is it does at least two things. Um, one is it provides users with information about the event. And in the Lord Mayor show, um, it provided <coughs> transport advice on how to reach the location, information on the float, and that was particularly attractive this year because they could, you could just hold up your phone to the float and it would give you all the information about the float as it was passing. And it could also tell you where different floats were along the route. Um, historic buildings in the immediate location, uh, location of Lewis and St. John's Ambulance, and the two ones I've starred were the ones that were most popular. Now, this is for the benefit of the users of the app. For the organizers and the emergency services, what it provides is a heat map, and again, Paul will show you what it looks like, a heat map superimposed on a Google map. So you have an actual um, map, and superimposed on that, you have a heat map which shows the density of the crowd. It changes color. It's a heat map in the sense that as it, as it becomes more crowded, the colors change from blue through to green and yellow to red. So red is where most of the crowd is, the greatest density of the crowd. And you can see quite clearly the movement and direction um, of the crowd. So this is the information that you have live in front of a screen in the control center. So if there is to be an incident or if there is to be too much of a crowding in a particular area, the app can actually send 
what is called um, a, a location-specific advice. So it, this is quite different. It's not like most apps that broadcast the information to everyone who has the <coughs> app. It can actually um, send it very specifically to those with a device in a particular um, location. Um, as you can imagine, it would have a lot of ethical issues. So we were very, very strict about the ethical um, guidelines. So it, the app was only active during the day of the event and only during a geographic boundary around the event. There was a very clear explanation of the purpose of the app, saying this is part <coughs> of a scientific project. Um, your data will be used for this purpose and so on. It was always purely anonymous. We have no access to the identity of the users. We only know that a particular device um, has the app. All data were amalgamated, um, and of course we observed European Commission regulations, we were cleared by our own Sessionical Ethics Committee, and so on. So we organized the trials, we're part of the control center, but the most important thing is that we discussed impact with policymakers um, by conducting face-to-face -face, um, interviews. However, in addition to all that, we also had a survey. So after the, um, uh, the end of the show, the Lord Mayor show, we sent through a request for people to f um, fill in a survey, and then we also asked them if they would wish to participate in an anonymous, very short telephone interview. That gave us a lot of insights um, into um, why people would use it. And I will give you some of that information in a moment. But first of all, I want, you, I want to um, give you some findings um, on the app by policymakers. The way they see it is that the purpose of crowd monitoring is to provide information on the density and movement of a crowd, to use the information to enhance security and safety. That's the key to enhance security and safety of um, um, those, those taking part in the event. And obviously, to help with the appropriate deployment of resources. Resources, as we all know, are getting um, you know, um, uh, scarcer and scarcer, and it's very important to deploy them appropriately. But also to identify abnormal patterns um, in movement or density that may become critical. Um, so it's, it's um, uh, as I said, a, a live um, assessment of what is happening. At the same time, there are CCTV cameras and there are um, stewards and marshals that are walking the routes. So we're getting constant updates as to what is happening, <coughs> both from humans and from the CCTV cameras. But what neither can do is give us a complete overview of exactly what is happening um, throughout the, the course of the, of the event. So... Um, and it's, of course, you know, a CCTV camera cannot do that. It was particularly valuable during the, during the fireworks display because during the fireworks display, CCTV cameras don't actually work. Um, and um, it was the first time that the City of London Police could actually have a clear overview of the entire route 
um, around the Thames where people were standing to watch the fireworks and they could actually see where the greatest density were. <coughs> that meant that the following year they could plan um, where the stands were, etc., much more um, um, effectively. Um, one of the things they also said was that using the heat map was intuitive and did not need um, any training. However, um, the important thing that is that it needs a trained officer to actually identify potential critical issues and take appropriate action. And this is one of the uh, a quotation from um, one of the policymakers actually using it. He said, it's one of those pieces of kit that you do not realize its true potential until you actually use it. And I think that's, that, that, that really says it all. It does have two weaknesses. Um, it does not provide actual numbers because everything is amalgamated. So all we see is um, um, the um, crowd um, as, as a whole, but we cannot say X numbers um, are in that particular location. And, of course, the heat map only reflects the number of users and only those with an active app. However, however, what was very interesting was even though a very small proportion of people were using the app, we could check it all the time with CCTV camera um, um, footage that we were seeing live in the control center and getting the reports in from the stewards. And what we were getting from the um, app, the readings we were getting from the app, were actually very accurate, which is incredibly interesting. Okay. The survey um, also gave us some very interesting insights. We asked them, you know, would you consult your iPhone for advice during an emergency? 70% actually said they would. I was, I was <coughs> actually quite surprised. And then we asked them, okay, if you're actually running for your life, would you stop and look at your mobile phone? Uh, <laughs> and um, not everyone would while they're running, but almost everyone said... When it is safe to do so, I would stop and look at it. And, of course, it very much depends on the type of emergency um, and also whether there were official personnel present. We still prefer to have another human to tell us what to do um, rather than doing what advice that we get through, 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 through our mobiles. Um, and we, then we asked, you know, would you actually take that advice? And the answer was quite consistent. If it came from an authoritative source we could trust, then yes, we would take it. Um, if the information was reliable and consistent with what I am experiencing, I would take it. So, for example, you know, if, 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 if the information I'm getting actually conflicts with what I'm actually seeing and hearing around me, I'm not going to take <coughs> it. But if it, if it is consistent, um, then I will. And, of course, obviously, if the technology is robust and doesn't um, fall over. Um, 30% said that they would prefer to follow instructions from figures of authority. As I was saying, another human um, is, is often much more um, convincing. Paul would probably disagree with me, <laughs> but that is what we heard, Paul. Um, and we also asked them, would you communicate? You, you know, you're in the minority. You're very few who have the app. Would you actually give this information to other people? 
And again, it was very consistent. Um, we were told, yes, we will actually tell those around face-to-face -face by voice, or we would Twitter, um, or we would use other so social media to actually send that information. Um, the app also tells you um, who of your friends from on Facebook are within the event, not where they are, but whether they are um, with, you know, attending the event. So you can actually um, send it to them specifically. Um, one interesting thing was um, crowd behavior um, after the fireworks. And this is the sort of thing we got from a telephone interview that you can't actually get from just an ordinary um, survey. What we found, what we were told, is that when everyone leaves, they all leave at the same time. There were particular areas um, in with there were exit barriers um, where it was difficult for people to leave. So these are actual barriers that are erected for that period that were in the wrong place. Now, we wouldn't have known this otherwise, but this has come through that, in fact, in that particular location, the barriers were actually creating <coughs> a potential danger. So one of the insights that we have is that the visualization by itself, the app by itself, is not enough to establish things like position of barriers. And we do need the additional information of context and understanding of crowd behavior, which was provided through um, the telephone interviews. I want to finish by giving you um, four different contexts um, where emergency planning um, takes place. Um, we did some interviews in Malta, and now I want to give you the island-wide um, major incident um, context there, especially flooding. They suffer very badly from flooding in Malta. Um, Munich, this is going to be an event-based emergency planning, and then two London contexts. One is city-scale mass evacuation, and the other is city transport infrastructure emergency. Obviously, uh, the main <coughs> objective um, in Malta, and in fact for, I should think, um, all um, emergency personnel is to save lives, property, and the environment. In that order of priority, it was stated, it was pointed out to us. Um, their challenges is gathering up-to-date data when preparing, for example, for earthquakes. They also need to know about current building materials and how they react to stress. They also need to know about demographics and mobility of those who may be affected. One of the big challenges is what are called flash floods. These, are, these happen very quickly. These are caused by rain, not by a, a river or sea um, um, breaking banks and flooding. This is very, very heavy um, rain, um, which causes um, these very, very quick um, floods. And, and the Maltese seem to be <coughs> suffering from them um, quite badly. Um, and they are doing a lot of preparation work with exercises and so on. Now, let me change the context to Munich and give you an event-based preparation. The main challenge is safety of those if, uh, attending the event. 
Um, and I was very glad to hear, these are based on, 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 on in-depth interviews, that they don't use a standard formula but need to take into account a combination of factors. Um, so it's not just the numbers but also the type of event. For example, at classical concerts, they, have, um, they can have higher numbers without the same risk as they would have um, at, at, at a different kind of concert. And also what else is happening, um, like fireworks. And then it's also the distribution, density, and location of participants and potential pressure points. Now, in concerts in particular, if you imagine, the pressure in those at the front <coughs> near the stage is at its greatest and in fact, some of the work one of our other partners is doing in ETH Zurich is, is, is working, um, is looking at those pressure, um, pressure points. Um, communication, and I will keep coming back to this point of communication. In this case, it was communication between the fire brigade, the organizers, or between the different emergency services. Absolutely key, and they kept on emphasizing it. The challenges are to avoid panic, um, that exits are visible and not obstructed, and again, communication um, if in case people need to leave a different way to the way they came in. They also need a very good overview, which they don't have at the moment. And this is something, for example, which something like the app will provide, which they simply do not have, um, they do not have now. Um, now, the... Um, they do have helicopters, but the helicopter pictures are not just in time. The third context is um, city-scale mass evacuation. Now, one of the... Um, um, in, in London, we have quite um, an interesting uh, configuration. We have 33 local authorities um, um, that can be involved in pan-London emergencies. What we're talking about when I'm talking about mass evacuation, this is an emergency affecting more than 100,000 people and involving all the emergency services. So this is not event planning. This is something that is unexpected and it involves a very large number of people and tidal flooding in London would be such an event. Interestingly enough, one of the challenges is accepting the need for a mass evacuation <coughs> and preparing comprehensive plans. These are not events that happen that frequently. They have a huge impact, but they happen infrequently. And when you are a policymaker that has great pressure and stress on your budget, are you going to allocate <coughs> resources to something that may happen once every 50 or 100 years, even though if it does happen, it's going to have massive um, 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 impact? Um, and again, communication with the public to warn and inform with the other emergency services. Now, we know from 7-7 um, that this communication with the other emergency services was one of the um, big problems. We now have airwave, which means that the emergency services can communicate even though they don't need the, 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 the ordinary um, mobile network. Um, and also convincing policymakers to make the resources available. The last context I want to, to, to look at 
is the city transport infrastructure. Now, as you well know, in London we have an infrastructure which has um, um, several types of transport, tube, buses, DLR, rail, etc. The point is that they are intricately interconnected and interdependent. And it is that interdependency um, which is key because they need integrated plans. <coughs> so one of the challenges is to understand the risk and how to mitigate it when risks are at multiple levels and of different types. So there would be societal, industrial, environmental um, risks. Um, and and this, is, this is one of the challenges that they need to face. So it is understanding the overall picture of the event and coordinating. Um, the other problem is getting factual information quickly out to the public. That's another key element. And again, this is where something like an app would probably um, do, do a good job. Um, they also need to know what messages um, the, the, those involved are receiving from, from, from the media um, and, 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 and so on. Now, before an incident, um, Again, a challenge is to encourage people to think um, about the future and to understand the likely impact, what can and cannot be done, um, and how people are likely to respond and to learn from other incidents. But the whole point is, again, this idea of communication. is communicating with the public, communicating with policymakers, communicating um, with the politicians who need to make the funding available. So the challenges are multidimensional, but one is common to all, and I think um, you will agree that that is effective and timely communication. And this is where I think the Socionico Lab could contribute as part of a toolkit. Not by itself, it cannot un, you know, be the, 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 the answer to everything, but as part of a toolkit it could be very useful because it can send immediate and location-targeted information and advice, both to the public and as an additional channel between the emergency services. And there's a lot of research now continuing on overcoming current problems with the communications infrastructure being overstretched or collapsing during an emergency. That's the end of my um, um, presentation. I will hand over now to Paul. Paul, both Paul and Nestor have um, presentations which are a lot more colorful and visually exciting than mine is. Um, but um, Paul will now uh, tell you all about the science behind the app. Yeah, so I'd like to speak about technology. And the first thing, I uh, want to show you another app. And, and actually, it's something, when you see the blue points, there's actually the lights in my room of my house. And if I just press something like this, I switch off the kitchen light when my family is having dinner. And, and my wife is likely to call me soon, probably. So the reason I'm, I'm showing that, really, um, is um, that it illustrates a point that, that is central to, to the app and many other applications, that the economist very nicely summarized in a recent article about the digital world and, and the physical, the real world, increasingly becoming interweaved and, and, in, and influencing each other. And it is a sum of many things that we see in everyday lives, mobile phones controlling stuff, providing information about stuff, 
But very often we fail to grasp the, the, the significance of it in, in a bigger picture, and, and that's what I want to show you. And that is something where this app that Eve was describing is just, just you know, the first drop in things that will be changing radically in the way we, we perceive the world, we interact with it, and, and we influence it. So, <coughs> talking about information, uh, that's another thing I, I found significant. You may remember when the Americans actually, so sorry, and I actually look, look here's my phone ringing, and that's my wife calling me probably about the, the lights. Um, and, and, you know, what you see here is when Americans napped Osama bin Laden, uh, you could, there was somebody sitting in a house in, in the area who was tweeting that online. So it was, you know, he was tweeting like, you know, there are helicopters and it's not usual. And, and for me, it's, it's like another significant thing because what you see is that there's this top secret raid at, at, at the end of the world and the whole world can see it online, can actually participate in it online. And, and that's something that's very different and, and, and new. You never had in the history of humanity. And, you know, the sources of information are, are very many. You can, you can look at searches in Google. Um, here in the city of London, if you think about the data that you have from the Oyster card. Uh, another thing, if you have a mobile phone, if you have a mobile phone, uh, then obviously your provider knows uh, your approximate location. And now think about it. I think, I don't know, half of humanity have, have mobile phones, which means that you live in a time where the exact location of about half of humanity is known at any given point of time, including their heading. Now, that's not information that you may have readily access to because of many reasons, which are good reasons, but in theory, that information is digitally available. That is quite significant. And if you look at phones, it's not just location. There are many things you can do with a phone. You know, a phone is very smart. It's, it's got GPS, it's got a compass, it's got motion sensors. It's got a lot of sensors that can, can look at the, at the environment like a camera. And you actually have a lot of apps, things like count your steps. You, you have apps that will actually tell you how far you're jumping or skiing. And you have those apps that tell you where your friends are and, 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 and things like that. And the phones can do a lot of stuff with it. Uh, so you know, here's one example. Was, if was saying you can look at the, the location, I'll show you a movie later, and you, you can do a heat map of people, and you can look where people are moving. Um, but you can do more. If you look at the acceleration sensors, and you know, that's the sensor you use to essentially rotate your screen when, when you have your phone, right? But it also gives you motion. So, so you know if people are go running or standing, you can see if they're walking up or down the stairs. So you can imagine in an emergency situation, you may pull the people with mobile phones to see whom you can actually send jumping over the wall to escape and who should actually be taking the easy route because he's, he's not very mobile. And, and, and you, know, you could look at motion patterns of people. So we have, for example, a project with, with a, a, a medical project when we use this sort of data recorded from mobile phone with psychiatrists for real diagnosis of people with manic or depressive states. So, so the amount of information that you can actually get, you, know, you can look at it and, and imagine half of humanity have this, so you could have a picture of how, how active, happy, or, or manic, or depressed half of humanity is at, at any given state, or, or people at your, at your uh, local event. Other thing that we did and looking at crowd density is, is so, so you've mentioned that um, the, the penetration is an issue, how many people have an application. Uh, but a lot of you have mobile phones, and most of you will have the Bluetooth switched on on the phone because you may use some headset or something. And if I have my phone and you, you scan any visible Bluetooth devices, it's a very good way of inferring crowd density. So now a small amount of people can actually do that. We did it at Munich, um, so you see that's the Munich uh, Oktoberfest, and, and you can see the amount of found Bluetooth devices as a function of, of a number of people. 
<coughs> I did a similar thing during New Year's Eve in Zurich where we had actually only 40 people walking around with logging Bluetooth devices and they discovered, I think, three or 4,000 unique IDs. So, so you know, it's, 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 it's very interesting how much information you can get from, from that. And the other interesting thing is actually sound. So mobile phones has got a, a microphone. And if you actually look at the sound, you can see if it's a lecture, if people are panicking, if there's a fire, if you're, I don't know, on a beach, in a church, in a football stadium, and, and, and what's happening. Um, now, that is something that certainly is a privacy issue. Um, but there are solutions. So we, we did some, a lot of work on this, not in respect with the Sociological app. And what you can do is instead of recording sound from which you can distinguish speech, you can record very small snippets, like, say, a tenth a second every second. And you can even mix them so that you cannot get speech from it, but it's still enough to see if people are screaming in fear or if, if you're actually in a lecture or, or something like this. And again, you remember, those is data that you can get from a, from a standard mobile phone. You can actually process and recognize this on a phone of, of people who would use it. And, and of course, the big thing behind it is um, that it's not like, you know, it's just a single person. It's, I think here in London, you probably have something like 30-40% penetration rate of smartphones. A lot of those phones are connected to Facebook, to Twitter, and you increasingly see the trend that people are uploading that information automatically, things like Foursquare. So, so what you get is an extremely complex pattern of information uh, that, 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 you know, is being streamed from, uh, from those devices to the network, and you can possibly leverage. And as you see, those things, this has a many different uh, ethical and uh, privacy and, and, and other consequences, but it also has, has you know, huge potential. And, and if you compare it, you know, in London, you probably cannot walk a few steps without being filmed by a CCTV camera. Um, so, so probably, you know, the, the information that you get from those devices is much more valuable than what you can get from, uh, from the CCTV. Um, so here is the, um, uh, the movie uh, that we have. I, I think I need a mouse to actually start it. Let me just see. So, so that is what, what, what we did uh, with the app. It's, it's sort of a nice visualization. So the general idea is that you... <coughs> Sorry. I don't know, people who would, I don't know what happened here. No, I think it's so. Uh, sorry, that's why I always use my Mac uh, to do presentations. But, uh, um, so you see people using you know, the app with, with standard information, as Eve was saying, and, and then that information provided people consented to it is being transmitted. And here you see the, the heat map as it's being built up. And then you can see actually on the on the um, pink, uh, pink, what, pink line, that's where the procession started. The Lone Mayor's procession, you can see as the crowd slowly builds up. And what you see is real data. So that's actually the data that we got from the, from the Lone Mayor's show. And you can see that the red and, and the high things are where you have high crowd density. And you can, you can see now as, as the procession people move to the, to the other side of, of the river. <coughs> and that is the type of information that you would get from, um, from the system. And, and the interesting thing is that, as Eve said, you know, there's a difference between seeing 50 cameras and having this sort of a concise information that can <coughs> potentially automatically de detect problems and, and, and you know, say things like there may be possible congestion here. And the other interesting thing is that you can de then send this situative information. And that is really another extremely important part of technology, something that you, know, you see with Google and other, that you don't, you're not 
in a different area. So the power of Google and advertising lies in the fact that you get ads that are targeted to what you are doing. And then you can do the same sort of thing is that if somebody is walking and you get a general announcement something, please, this and this subway station is, is overcrowded, don't go. That this has a different, uh, uh, you know, different impact than if you have somebody who says, you, you walking over there. you just walking into a crowded station. So people react differently. The other thing is we've been talking to people organizing, for example, the Oktoberfest. And if you think now about organizing an evacuation of an area, um, then probably the optimal evacuation route would involve many different groups of people moving in many different directions in many different ways. Now, try organizing that just with, you know, stewards there. You have to send somebody. You can, you can shout through a microphone. It doesn't work. With this sort of technology, you can really send a crowd of people into 200 different directions, uh, you know, exactly timed. And, of course, there's a question of compliance, but Eve spoke about that. And, you know, there's another thing that increasingly people are using this sort of technology as their default way of getting information. So I was discussing with Nestor before. Uh, if you think today, if you go to any event, to anything, the most likely thing you're going to do before you go is to go to a website and see information. That's what like 50% of the people would do that. Increasingly, people will not do that. They will look for an app. And, and that is something that is happening. And once people, you know, start trusting in, 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 this, in, in this app, uh, that takes off. And <clears throat> what I wanted to say, this, this sort of location thing is really primitive. That's another article I found some time ago, um, not a, that long ago. It says, you know, Microsoft patents bad neighborhood detection. And that sounds strange. You know, they built um, operating systems. Um, but, of course, once you think that they're selling mobile phones and, and phones that can give people direction, people can use to buy things, and you combine that information on, on a statistical level, you're likely to, to find out soon which neighborhoods are being visited by who, which people, which neighborhoods may be avoided by which people, and, and you can actually build that sort of information. Again, it's not unproblematic, and I don't know if I would like to have this information being built about my neighborhood, but that information is, is, is there. Um, so really summarizing this, um, you know, I, I told you a lot of things, and I guess most of those things you knew, but it really is the significance of the sum of those things. And, and to understand it, it may be a good idea to, to look at, you know, Internet, which everybody grasps. And I think the biggest impact of the Internet has, be, has been that any piece of knowledge that humanity has ever created suddenly become accessible at, you know, at your fingertips. You can find it. Anything that you cannot find on Google is not really relevant. Uh, you know, that is increasingly this, uh, the thing that you see. And, of course, the ability to correlate that information. So what you see now is the next stage. What you are now seeing is that not just archival knowledge that people created is becoming visible online. Increasingly, with things like Twitter, sensing, you see that anything that is happening in the real world, any physical event, increasingly leaves a, a trace in the digital domain. You know, a few years will pass by and nothing will be able to happen which will not be instantly visible. You see that already. If there's an earthquake, it first becomes visible in the digital media before something else happens. So, you know, it's something I call the digital shadow. And, and of course, it's not like you see it directly. But I, I think and that, is, that is the basic technology, the basic fundamental change that you're seeing in the relationship between electronic computing technology and the real world is that you have this digital shadow that everything can be searched, can be correlated, becomes visible. And we're just at the beginning of trying to exploit that with things like the app. 
Uh, of course, there's the other side of it. And, and you know, I, I got it from the press again. You had this, this London riots where people were, were focusing on, on things like phones. <coughs> I don't know how much truth there is, but if you think about this, uh, the technology does have another impact. There's this blending of digital and the real. So if you think with old technology, you know, even standard mobile phones, right? So you had a guy, you know, he, he put a flame in a couple of cars, then he would call a buddy and say, hey, I'm, I'm burning up cars. Would you like to join me? It's fun. And, and, you know, the other guy would be having a beer at the sofa, so he may or may not come, and he would come 10 guys, and not much happened. Now, what happens today is that the people go, and, you know, they can make a video of a burning car, and, and you know, there's with a trifant pose. And then with a single click, that video is being distributed over Facebook to thousands of people who all have this tendency of having fun burning cars, you know, because they somehow belong to the same, whatever, group and, and pulse. That is a totally different type of interaction that the technology allows. It's not just calling. It's just fundamentally changing how humans influence each other. And that comes back to Eve's uh, complex systems um, talk, that if you look, of course, at human communities or whatever collective of devices or of people, it's really the interactions. It's the patterns of interconnections. It's the strength of interactions along those interconnections that determines global system behaviors. And technology fundamentally changes that patterns of interaction, the flow of information, the, the intensity of interaction, and the connectivity. And, and that gets to ways. So essentially what you would like to have is some sort of, of technology that could, could, could you know, elevate these this, this events. And there are many things that you can, you can think of. <coughs> the ability to predict and warn, which is what he was talking about. You know, the question, could you, could you adapt the infrastructure? And you run different moral things, but if you have the warning, could you have, I don't know, stopped subways going in the direction of the riots? Could you have stopped the information flow? Many things you could do. Um, you know, you, could, you, could you warn people? Uh, but that, of course, raises questions. So, you know, you could, you could have another thing. Uh, you know, this, this technology can, of course, easily be misused. And, and, of course, once you do this technology, it can be used for both sides. So, so, you know, you wouldn't like to have something like this, essentially, resulting from the technology that you're using. And that's why it's important to have the type of projects we have when, when people like me who just love the technology and love... Uh, you know, uh, switching lights at their home and doing all sort of more useless stuff. And people like Eve who really seriously thinks about policies, implications, and humans work together to make those systems do something good. Okay, that's it. Thank, Thank you. you. Very much. And I guess it's, it's, it's now to me to, to I think I, I'll change the title of, of my presentation a, a, a slightly. So, so rather than talking from a policy making <coughs> perspective, I want to be ta talking a bit more about from a practitioner's perspective. Someone on the ground uh, putting in plan, put, putting in place plans, and, and, and trying to work with, with communities to help them help themselves in an emergency. How does this app actually then make us change the way we do things, or could make us change the way we do things? And I guess the first thing is, is try to give you a bit of context of where I'm coming from. So, so, so the City of London Corporation is, is, is the local authority, or has, is, a, is a body that has local authority powers that covers the, the geographical patch that's between the nice little, or quite big actually, statue of a dragon just off uh, the Aldridge, so, so just by the Royal Court of Justice. I'm, I'm sure most of you have seen it at some point. Uh, and it goes all the way down to the Tower of London. So that's, that's, that's the geographical patch that we cover, the City of London Corporation. Plus, we have a number of different 
activities that, that go a bit further than that. So we have offices in Brussels, in Mumbai, Shanghai, Beijing, and of course the Guildhall, which is our main base. So, so it's, it's a bit of a kind of interesting and, and, and quirky, weird organization. But we also have things like a property portfolio that involves housing estates and, and all other, other type of things like Barbican, which is a massive kind of set of privately owned and some of us, some of the corporation owned flats that are rented to people, but I would say quite high prices, maybe a bit too high, I don't know. Uh, but you also, we, we run things like the Animal Reception Centre at Heathrow, uh, Port Health for the whole of the Tidal Thames, open spaces, further afield, so I don't know how many of you have been to Hampstead Heath or Epping Forest, that's one of the things that we operate, so... so and, and we also have three very large wholesale markets, so the, the, the largest meat market in London, the largest fish market in London, a huge vegetable market. So that's, that's kind of operations that are not necessarily your traditional local authority functions, but we still have to care and look after our, 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 our community. And part of that care of community includes looking after some iconic buildings like Tower Bridge and all the other bridges between kind of Westminster and, 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 and the Tower. But as a local authority, so, so with our local authority hat on, we have a, a, a number of roles that are common to all local authorities. So, so we, we're there to support the emergency services and, and do what, what Eve was saying before, which is kind of help pre uh, preserve life and, and, and preserve property and, and look after the environment. So, so that kind of thing. We, we have a duty to, to support our community. So not only our residential community, but the business community. Uh, we, we have a duty to, to coordinate with other responding agencies. So, so Environment Agency, Met Office, Central Government, City of London Police, etc. And then we also, as, a, as with a local authority hat on, we need on recovery and restoration. So, so what do we do after the, the Big Bang? So, so how do we make sure that people's lives can continue, that we can keep the city running? And I now want to focus on, on how we do certain things that are particularly useful for us in emergencies or in dealing with emergencies at the minute, what are our current capabilities, and then I'm going to tell you a bit about what we see the app could add to these current capabilities. So at the minute we have, I don't know how many of you have walked around the city and noticed that the city is now getting bins. For, for a long time we had no bins in the city. And that, that annoyed a lot of people. But now we're getting bins, and these bins are, are, these bins are, are bomb-proof. But not only are they bomb-proof, they, they also have screens at either end. So you have screens delivering live messages at either side of your recycle bin. So they tell you about the tube. So, so you can see there there's a, there's a bit of information about kind of what lines are running in the tube and... That's that, that kind of information that's useful to the people that are walking on the streets in the city. So that's one of the things that we can use to deliver <coughs> messages. So that duty to warn and inform the public during an emergency, we can use that as one of the things that we, one of the tools that we have in that toolbox for warning and informing. But we also have something called iModus messaging, which is a, a very simple at the minute text message or SMS alert that you can send to all city businesses, City of London Police use it, we use it as well, and you can tell them, hey guys, there's something happening, 
take the riots example, we can tell them there's, there's rioting happening in X, Y, Z locations. Even though it's not necessarily in our patch, we can, we can suggest to you that you, should, you might want to look at your security arrangements and ta- start putting measures in place to protect yourself, to help yourself be safer. So that's kind of one of the things that, that we've been doing for quite a while. And, and you have multi, multi-platform messaging. So, so you, you can send it via SMS. You can send it to, to smartphones via emails and all the different normal ways that, that we're all very familiar with of receiving messages. But on top of that, we're working on enhancements so that people can receive messages because they're interested in a specific area. So say, for instance, if your office is based around Bank Station, you can now subscribe, or you will soon be able to subscribe, to messages affecting Bank area. So something happens around Bank, we can let people that are interested in the Bank area know about what something, what has happened and how they can help themselves be safer. <coughs> if, say, for instance, you are in the city... In, 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 a very, in, a, in an area of the city, we can also send messages to those businesses that we know are based in a specific location. So not necessarily because you're devising that specific location, that's what I'm talk, going to talk in the next slide, but because that, that location will help you um, kind of put a bit of context on, onto that messaging. And we have a public address system, a set of speakers dotted around the city that we can actually kind of broadcast, shout at people from the streets. But it's a very kind of rudimentary system. It's, it's a very simple technology. It's just a public address system that's around the city. Now, what does the app actually... What does the app actually could give us? So, so what's, what's, what's the added layer of, of enhancement that the app can bring to this picture? It's we can, we can actually push messages that are ge- geographically specific to the wider population, even if the mobile networks are down. And, and Paul didn't mention this, but one of the, one of the interesting features of, of the app, or one of the interesting, I don't know if it's active or could be active, but... Uh, it's something you could develop. You're yeah. actually working on developing yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, is it wildfire, you call it? Yeah. Wildfire. So, so if, if, a me- if, if, if the mobile networks are down, you could use... <coughs> That technology that's in your smartphone to help repli- uh, to kind of do some kind of peer-to-peer communication and distribute that way messaging. So it's an it's another an added level of resilience to your messaging, with the benefit that you can also target it to specific locations. So you can say, so for those people that are around this immediate vicinity of an incident. You can tell them to do certain things, so evacuate to X distance from bank station or move to, I don't know, the monument site and you will get help from the ambulance service or whatever it is that you, you need to tell them to help them be safer during that incident. But then there's also, you can have a, 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 an added functionality in the, in the app that lets you do sort of behind-the-scenes messaging which is really, really useful because you can then communicate to other people in your trusted network and tell them messages that are not being broadcasted to the wider public. You can still do quite kind of wide broadcasting of messages, but to a more selected audience. And then there's something that's really, really interesting about the app, and it's that 
ability to gather feedback from the population. So at the minute, when we, when we have an incident, when we, when we have an emergency, it's very difficult for us to understand how the, how the community sees our work during an emergency actually helped them. So what their opinion was of the, 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 the quality of emergency response they got from the different services, from the local authority. And help involve and shape that, the, 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 the type of response they'll get in future emergencies by actually contributing to a kind of debrief of an incident. That's something that we don't have at the minute, but the app could help facilitate that. There's other channels that can also help like that, so social media, that kind of thing, that helps. But the app gives us a very kind of direct link to someone that we know was in a specific place, had the app active, <coughs> used the app to receive emergency messages, we instructed them to do certain things, and then we can ask them, so how, how, was, uh, how was our service to you help us shape future responses. And then the other area, how am I doing time-wise? Oh, time that's good. Um, I'm not relaxing too much, that way. <laughs> so um, the other area is, is how, how do we get the picture of what's happening? So how, in, 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 in emergency management, you call that situational awareness. So, so how, how do you know what's out there? Because, of course, when you're, when you're trying to deal with an emergency, you need to know what's happening, so you, need, you know what resources to, to, to deploy and what the type of, of response that you're putting in place. So at the minute, as Paul and, and Eve said, we, we can look at CCTV. There's a brilliant network, CCTV. We not only have the ability to look at our own network, CCTV cameras in the city corporation, but we share a network with the City of London Police, so both can see... We both can see each other's cameras, and it's, it's, a, it's a really comprehensive network of CCTV. And we can even approach local businesses, and we know which, <coughs> which local businesses have cameras, and we can approach them and say, can we tap into your CCTV camera network to look at what's happening outside your building? So that's a current feature that we can use to gain a situational awareness. And we have all their alert systems, so, so you have fire detection systems and kind of other different alert systems that come into different control rooms of different bodies, so corporation, the city of London corporation, city of London police, fire brigade, ambulance service, we have different alerts going to them and they would be able to build up that picture of what's happening out there. But then we also have people on the ground. So you have the beat officer for the police, you have our, our parking inspection people, you have building control, all the, all the people that you normally see, the, the road sweepers, and they help you gain that, build that picture. But then we also have, as, as, as Paul said, that digital shadow. So, so something happens, and immediately you know through, it used to be sky, but now it's more, it's increasingly that digital shadow. It's increasingly through Twitter, through Facebook. You know what's going on. You, you get an immediate notification of what's happening out there from a variety of sources. So you can start kind of, if you like, crowdsourcing your picture of what's happening out there. Now, what the app could give us on top of that situational awareness or the initial one is what Paul was showing in that visualization of the, of the heat map. 
it can tell us kind of what's the population size of the population that we're dealing with in an emergency, but not only what's the population size in a specific point in time, so not a snapshot like the census is, which was what we use for planning. So, so we use the census data that tells, well, this is the kind of mix-up that you have in your community, and this is the kind of population that you're responsible for. But the app actually tells you kind of what's the crowd density, how, how does that crowd move, how does it move over time, how does it change in the weekend, particularly in the city. You can imagine that the population mix-up and, and the distribution of the population when all the businesses have gone home for the weekend is very different from Monday morning rush hour. And if you've been through the bank station at that time, you know what I'm talking about. So, and you don't really want to know what, you're, what I'm talking about if you haven't been. Don't go there. <laughs> but there's also another thing. is The app could let us see, in a, in, a, in a kind of more generic way, how the crowd moves, how the crowd behaves, how the crowd disperses. And that's quite important when you're talking about helping people help themselves. Because if you're trying to get people out of danger, it's, it's a very interesting tool for how you deploy your resources to know where they're going and how they're getting away. And I think there's, there's, there's an added level of, of, of insight that the, that the app can provide. And I, and I touched slightly about it when I was talking about how it can help us communicate better with the community that we serve and how it can help us have a richer debrief, a, a richer understanding of what happened and how a response was, was actually effective or not. But then, from a planning perspective, the app can give us information that can help us design the urban environment. If you've been to a city, you've realized that the city has had... So, so when I say the city, I mean that geographical patch that I was talking about earlier. Uh, if you've been to city, you realize that city has had quite a number of um, interventions into the, geographic, into, the, into the urban space, into the physical space, to make it safer. The app can give us added information that will help us design a safer city. And that's, that's, really, that's really something. There's something that we don't have at the minute. If you, if you could see how the population behaves, not, not only on a day-to-day -day basis, but in a, in, during an incident, you can then overlay that information to your planning considerations, to how you design buildings, to how you design pavements, to how you design roads, to help you help your community better. And that's something that we don't have at the minute. It could be quite revolutionary. And I think... That's, that's just a bit more about that interaction with the, with the urban environment. At the minute, we have resources like inquests and things to figure out what happened during an emergency. But if you have data that's being collated about how the urban environment interacts with people or how people interact with the urban <coughs> environment during an emergency, that is something that could quite change how we look at designing our cities. So it could have very different ramifications. And I think that's it from my side. Thank you very much.
we have about 30 minutes left for questions. Um, I'd like to take questions in sort of batches so I can get all three to comment on them. Please um, wait for a microphone, identify yourself, but who would like to raise a question, comment? Gentlemen in the Let's jump back. Anybody else? Okay. One, Good evening. Two, Please. Yes, go ahead. Good evening. Thank you very much for your, your talk. Um, I'd like to address something which, which, which worries me greatly about this, um, and that is the, the, the problem. I feel very threatened by being surveyed, and I make sure that everything I do, um, I, I, I cut myself off from these uh, anything which will keep, it, keep track of me. So uh, I feel threatened going through a street which, where I can see CCTV cameras. But I want to make a more general point, if I may, and that is that um, I feel particularly threatened when I am in a situation where somebody is telling me to do something and I have no way of responding to them. For example, um, I get on a, on a tram um, going between Wimbledon and Croydon. I was told five times by people uh, to get off that tram with my bicycle because you're not allowed a bike on a tram. The answer is, you are allowed a folded bike, and the bike was folded. Now, the people I spoke to personally, I could say, look, this is folded. It says, only folded bikes allowed. But the person <coughs> who was telling me over the tannoy, you get off this tram now, otherwise we're not going anywhere, I had no way in which I could respond to it. And this is one thing which worries me greatly, that, that I, am, I am the recipient of all these messages, but I have absolutely no way of saying, look, Yes, I know you want me to do this, but it would actually be safer to me if I did something different because I'm going home a different way and I know I can catch the whatever. So there's no two-way communication, and, and I find that quite, quite worrying as a development in society. Thank okay, thank you very much. The gentleman in the middle. Shall we take three together? Okay, otherwise, because you, you, You've all spoken for an hour, so let the audience have it. Okay, I've, I've, got a, I've got two questions. The first one is maybe just a clarification. If I remember correctly, on 7.7, almost immediately the network, the mobile network, went down or was put down. So what would happen to any emergency app if it happened? The second one is maybe related in some ways. And is, uh, is there any plan for the city of London to provide free uh, universal Wi-Fi coverage, including in the underground? Thank you. The gentleman in the blue shirt towards the back. Yeah. Could you identify yourselves as yep. um, Peter Dick, I'm uh, in the Department of Health in Public Health. Thank you. Um, I'm, I thank you for the talk, all talks. I think it's very interesting. I'm interested in what you can or, 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 or could do with the information that you're gathering. I mean, for example, I mean, it seems to me that you have quite a lot of information and people uh, will have quite a lot of difficulty who, who gather that information in making decisions <coughs> about what information to give back to the people in, in emergency situations. I mean, have you ideas about running real-time simulations, for example, the sort of thing that Dirk Hobling does in, in Zurich, or that, that sort of thing, about uh, trying to understand what is the best advice you give to whom in emergency situations? Uh, one more question, the woman at the front. Um, as part of uh, my master's program here, I'm involved in a consultancy project with IBM in Brazil as part of their Smarter Cities um, initiative. 
Um, and so there's a lot of work being done around smarter cities, and I'm wondering whether you guys are sharing this with other cities and kind of comparing notes and best practices. Thank you. And there was a question here. Might as well finish on one, one more. Yes, please. Um, <coughs> Saeed Ashukra, member of the Complexity Group. Um, and the comments rather than a question. In terms of the application or validation, if you like, the, the system, which has been uh, very good and successful in various trials, but I'm talking about adverse weather condition. For example, the recent event at Heathrow, and you compare the situation at Heathrow in Gatwick, although the difference is all about 25, 30 miles. Gatwick managed, planned the crowd control and comfort and all the problem with it, much better than Heathrow, although Heathrow is always under the screen, if you like, in terms of <coughs> demand, over overpopulation, and the gentleman here with the public authority, most of, the, most of the clients and the customer are already subscribed through their mobile and their iPhone and the system to British Airways and the other carriers to improve communication because even with the uh, media there was a chaos almost said like a refugee camp and it could have been managed better and situation will be much improved and there was an investment in terms of removing the snow and this is another issue whether the Met Office will really predict snow but not the <coughs> amount of snow I mean it was heavily uh, it's not all over the country and in various in, in, in various situations maybe one or two organization in the business could have taken that opportunity and retested the system to do a tested trial and validate some data, but I don't know whether that has been taken into consideration or not. Thank you. Sorry, I, I don't think I, I understood. So, so <coughs> I, I'm not sure I'm, I'm clear what the question was in that one. No, no. The question was, in terms of communication, it would be improved, and if it was a good, effective communication, the outcome would have been much better than what has been predicted. You, you gave the example of the local authority or lender corporation to use some of the app and the system, but that was a good opportunity to, to test and validate the system. Maybe a lot of customers are subscribing. Okay. Um, I'll start to your question because things are quite dear to my heart as well. And if you look at it, the, if, you, if you compare what you have today, which is that you, you have a, a surveillance of the entire city by CCTV cameras, which is something you cannot opt out of. Whereas what, what we are proposing is something which is on a voluntary basis, which means you know, if, if you're in a crowd and if you would not like to contribute information, you can actually still use the app for information, but you're not transmitting anything. So, so the big difference here is you're talking about so-called participatory sensing, which... Uh, most people don't mind if they know, and, and, and that's about this knowledge, they know what it's for, but you can opt out. And the other thing that you said about information, actually the, we have some, some plans that, that you could have this two-channel information, but especially about understanding. So one of the things that people, for example, in Munich told us is, is, is important. You have a huge event, right, and you don't have something like the app. It's very difficult to deliver any sort of targeted information. Why, is, why are things happening? With this sort of an app, you can say, you know, you are in this part, and ahead of you, the exit is blocked. This is what you would like you to go to, to, to a different place. So what, certainly it's not a perfect system. I think on both accounts of what you said, it constitutes actually an improvement rather than, 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 than making things worse. And, and just to continue the answer to the question about the, um, um, the, the Wi-Fi yes. network. Can I, can I yeah, yeah, that, yeah. The answer first, so, so then we can... <laughs> so, so again, when, when it comes to the to the two-way communication issue, that's that's something that we have 
we, we, we feel very dear. And that's one of the things that I think the whole debrief and the, the, the ability to check, perhaps not in real time, but then after the incident through a survey, through the people that we send the messages, how was the message for you? So, so that's something that we don't have. So again, that's another enhancement of the app. Do you want to carry on with the other yes, technical seven, point? Seven. The seven yeah, so, so the, the current version of the app was not there, but as you all know, your smartphones can communicate via Wi-Fi. And most of you, or some of you may know, you can actually make your smartphone an access point that will allow your notebook to connect to the Internet. And what can easily be done is that actually you, you take those, those Wi-Fi functionalities and build something like an ad hoc network. And we actually now have a project that works on that. So what happens is that even if you have a total breakdown of any communications, you can actually use the smartphones to, to conduct the, uh, the information. So it's, it's non-trivial, but it's something we are actually working on, which would be a huge benefit for, for, for handling emergency situations. I'd like to answer Please. the question about cities. Um, because <coughs> the project... Um, has 10 different countries that are part of the project. So um, initially, yes, of, yes, we are doing some of it, but I should say not enough yet. So if you would like to talk to us about it later and you'd like us to sort of um, disseminate a particular city you have in mind, we'd be delighted. But yes, we are doing it as much as we can because I said with 10 different countries in the project, um, I think it, it, it's bound to happen. Now, I was not sure about the gentleman with public health what your question was. Can you just repeat it, please? Using clever technology to get the information. I think if you use clever technology to get the information. You're using clever technology to get the information. I think you could use clever technology to decide what to do with that information once you've got it. Yes, absolutely. I just want to comment on that. You mentioned the Cloud Bank. It's actually somebody we work with a lot in, in different projects, and uh, that, that is an obvious thing. So, so that's something that, that is happening. I just wanted to answer also the, the Brazil question. So actually, we, we now have a, a project proposal that will be submitted in, in two two weeks together with Brazilian uh, institutes in Sao Paulo on actually using exactly this technology for, for crowd control. So, so the stuff is happening. And anyone on the adverse weather conditions? Um, well, I, 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 if I understood right, the question is more than, more than about the adverse weather conditions. It's about how to make the comms better and how to add quality mm -hmm. and, and how to use the, the information that we're getting from the validation of the trials with the app to, to help us understand how to communicate better. And I think that's what that Socionical is doing as part of their recommendations to that's policy right. makers. So hopefully that will come to a certain way, a certain way to address that. Kind of how can policymakers then use that information that has been validated through the different trials mm. to help us shape the way we communicate with the public, how we warn and inform the public about emergencies or even events in a better way. So hopefully that comes to a certain way to I think when it comes to, to sharing our information with different cities, <coughs> being, being one of the biggest, if not the biggest, financial centre in the world, we have quite close ties with other financial centres in the world. So we have close ties with Singapore, for instance, and, and we recently had a visit from, from the Singapore Fire Authority looking at how, how we communicate about mass evacuation and things like Well, not mass evacuation, but evacuation, simultaneous evacuation of different businesses. And that, that, was, that, that prompts 
another project that we're working on in the city. But we also work with people like La Défense in, in, in Paris, so, so, which is another financial district that is very similar to us. We work with the New York uh, Federal Emergency Agency, uh, sorry, the New York Emergency Management Agency. Uh, and, and we sent someone very recently there, one of our team, to do a research project with them uh, as part of a Churchill Fellowship. So, and, and, and actually understand what they did to cope with 9-11, what they did to cope with the recovery after 9-11, and trying to understand those lessons and bring them back to London. And that's one of the things that we try to do as, as a city. We see ourselves as, as part of a wider global community, and we make sure that we engage with our other partners in, in that global community as much as we can. We're also engaging with the knowledge transfer networks, particularly the Smart Cities Catapult, which I'm sure you're aware of. So, so it's, that's what we're doing. But again, as you said, anything that you can help to, to help us engage with, with more partners, we're more than happy to, to be in touch. I guess there's also, um, there's also the question about the, the what, what would we do about uh, Wi-Fi? And I think that was very targeted to yeah. City of London Corporation particularly. I think the City of London Corporation is at the minute 10, and I know we, we did a, a lot of work with TfL, uh, particularly around how to provide Wi-Fi or internet access, uh, so that people could use their smartphones to get better advice uh, during the Olympics. That was uh, a very specific trial and, and, and I, th I think TfL has decided to keep the access but now because of the kind of commercial private considerations that they've entered with I believe is Virgin Media they, that access is now charged on. So, so, so that I think access in the underground network falls slightly outside our remit, but we're doing our best to, to, to work with TfL to take into account the needs of the city community. Uh, when it comes to overgrown Wi-Fi, uh, we, are, we already have a very comprehensive network of public access Wi-Fi in the city, in the square mile. Uh, at the minute, I know one of our teams is looking at the business model for it is it is it feasible for us uh, with the level of funding that we have for this kind of project to expand that to to provide full coverage for the whole square mile or, or are we just keeping what we have at the minute which gives in, in certain hotspots free access to Wi-Fi I think depends at, at the end of the day it's, it's about resources and how, how you deploy them more efficiently so that will decide if, if that becomes available I can't speak for wider London, I'm afraid, though. Further questions? Okay, one, two, three. Please <coughs> identify yourself and speak into the microphone. Good evening. My name is Jordan, and I'm a computer science student, uh, undergraduate, and uh, I have a question. Uh, the application, how it works, is that it gets the information from this map, right, with the, that shows the crowds. Uh, but is this information available only in cru crucial circumstances or, or uh, users can get access to this map uh, with crowds at all time? Okay, well, Hi, I'm Ruth. I'm from Oxford and Sustainable Urban Development. And I have two questions. Um, first is that, is this app being developed for the 
uh, as a research tool for policymakers and for strategic planning of the government, or are these being promoted for the end user, for them to feel safe, um, that they would be in a safer city? And then um, second is logistic-wise. Um, if ever that this will be uh, very effective and uh, in the promotion, people would really use this app. Um, how about uh, uh, are your existing police or you know, security forces effective in responding immediately to the people who are, would be using these apps in case of emergency? Thank you. I hope it's clear. No, the last uh, yeah it's about logistics <coughs> that you are promoting that this uh, the end uh, for the end users yeah. when they use these apps and they activate it they would feel safer and in case of emergency that they call for police would they be um, is the city um, can the city respond to it by increasing police forces Think Logistics, I mean, oh, increasing your no, police that. forces. Yeah. Okay, I think we, I think <laughs> Thank we, you. we think we're there. That's very yes. helpful. Okay. And then, gentlemen at the front here, if you want. Yeah. Yes, there are two, yes. That's Hello. Yep, yeah, so it's on. Hello, Keith Lemming, Notice Plan Officer, London Borough Camden. Um, two questions, really. Noticed on Eve's first presentation, project started around 2009 up until 2013. So I'll be keen what, what the actual end result is or what happens past 2013 with this project and the app. And the other thing, just curious question in terms of the funding, how much funding has gone into the project, if that's come from the EU or that's been from partners? Okay. And um, just along from you. Yep. Hello. Oh. Yes, it's on. Just speak. Um, Louise Elstow, also from the London Borough of Camden's emergency planning team. It was a really quick question, which is to ask possibly an obvious question, is that have you considered uh, potentially using the app for the Olympics in Brazil in four years? That's a very obvious, very no, large... I can't hear. <coughs> Sorry, whether you considered using the app in, um, Brazil, in the Brazil, um, oh. in the Olympics. That's a very oh. large event with a very large space and a very controlled, um, obvious set of people who may need directing towards a number of exits, um, having gone to the uh, Olympic Park uh, in the summer several times, it would have been very useful to know um, if there were particular hotspot stations and other than a person with a board and some very friendly people telling you to do that, if you also had that on an app, it might be something you could use. Thank you very much. Have you considered okay. it? Who would like to start? Eve, do you want to? Oh, a few questions. Yes. 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 So, so, I, I think... Sorry. It's a sort of a mix-up of the functionality. So what the app does is that essentially the users see general information about the event and, and a map that's obviously only available during the events. It doesn't make sense otherwise, but if it was like for the city in general, you could have it available always. The crowd density thing is an information that's being generated at the um, uh, control center and was currently not made visible to the, to the public, but it could be, although it's, it's a policy question to, to the emergency people, you know, it's a question how can it be used or misused. Yeah, because it, it, it highlights vulnerabilities. If you, if you can see real data of crowd gatherings and, and you're, you're the person targeting the crowd, might That's not necessarily be the best idea. We had, we had a lot of debate, actually, <coughs> um, whether we could make the heat map available. Um, Technically, 
it's feasible, not a problem. It, it is whether it is safe to do so. Um, so the debate came down on the fact that that would not be information that at the moment um, it would be safe to make available. Um, but as, as, as you know, we said, technically, it would be, it would be possible to do that. Um, and of course, the other thing is that even though we've trialled it in specific events, the one we now have for the City of London Police, this is a constant app, but it doesn't provide location information because you do, would not want people to know where you are every day, 24 hours a day. That facility only becomes active if there's an actual incident, and then you will be asked if you can activate that um, um, that, that feature so that it can then become the much more active um, app of, of sending you information and also sending out the, you know, using the sensors to send your location information. So it, it, we have to separate what is technically feasible and what is politically and security um, possible. And ethically. And ethically, uh, exactly. Possible as well. So basically, the app has the feature to obtain the, the identity information of the user only if he accepts so. Or no, 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 no not the identity of the user, only the, the location of the device. So we, we, we do not store the, the identity, and, and the point is that for some of the research in the current version, we actually did store the anonymized location. But, of course, if you work in the area, you know that it's impossible to anonymize location information in, in the long run because you can, you can, you can trace it. So, so the notion is that what you retain is the density information. So you don't even retain unique IDs anonymized, and, and that makes sure that, that there's no personalized information to be, to be retained. And then coming back, and, and I think that relates to the to question of the lady about making people feel safe or not, I think that is a, an interesting question. What you might understand is that that essentially, the app has been developed, has primarily been a research app that we, we continue to support because people found it useful. And then certainly, or, or the interesting question is, you know, what would be the, the benefit? How would it be used? It's certainly important to, to make sure that people feel safer with it because that is for them the motivation to provide their location information. You know, the, the principle is you don't just pull the information off people. You offer people an incentive to provide the information, which in this case is if you are in the middle of a crowd, you may actually want whoever controls the crowd to know what is happening. Um, and and what, what you need, and that comes back to this visibility of the heat map. Mm. You know, it's, it, those are very complex questions because you may actually argue that if there is something happening, you would like to have that information to, to know how to best escape or what's happening. But then, of course, you give people information where best to place the bomb. And you could argue they could have this anyway. So, so those are really things that we, you wanted to start as a debate and while we work with policymakers, with, with, with social scientists, to understand. I think there's a huge potential in it and how to best use it is, is difficult to say. What happens next? Yes. What we've happens? got Brazil. We've got yes. about three or four minutes left. Yeah. So yes. you want to take those? The end what happens after 2013? Okay, the so, so the project, so, that, so funding of the project, we had um, um, five million funding from the EU over, over four years, plus two million that were thrown in by partners. You might understand that, as Eve said, the project was not about building the app. 
it's not like there's a five minutes, but the app was, was a byproduct of, of a project we, we developed to, to produce uh, um, some data. And the project is about something that was asked, and really developing models and an understanding of how the technology influences um, emergency situations and traffic situations. What happens after the, the project is that we actually continue other research projects, um, but also we have a spin-off company that has been funded actually specifically uh, to, to, to continue and to, to market and to develop the app. So that may be something that will continue it. And speaking about Brazil, uh, we do have, as I said, a new project now proposal together with people from Brazil where it may be used. Um, as we've seen in London, actually, using things during Olympics is an extremely complex thing because of marketing rights. And one of the problems of the app in London was actually that it was not allowed to be the official Olympics apps, but it was just marketed through the city, which, which of course, meant people were not using it much. So it's a good idea. The question how to, how to get it there is, is much more complex than pure benefit. Yes. I'm trying to try to tackle the, the, the question from the lady there about the effectiveness of emergency yeah, services deployment. If I got your question right, you were asking, so there's the flip side to people feeling safer with the app, which is how, how much is the app actually making them safer? So how, how, how effective is the app in helping you deploy resources quicker? But not only that, how capable is the different emergency services to do that deployment? Is that the right Am I right in, in – is that your question? Yeah. Good. Yeah. So when it comes to the app, how we used it in the Lord Mayor Show, we had a multi-agency coordination room in the Lord Mayor Show. We had uh, the people responsible for deploying the police resources in the Lord Mayor Show. We had the people responsible for deploying the ambulance resources, the fire brigade resources. They were in direct contact with their dispatch, so with their control room that actually could say – send an ambulance to this point, send a police car to that point, send a fire truck to that point, and they, were, they had visibility of, of the heat map so they could use that to immediately inform their dispatch to say, okay, so this is where the problem is, can we dispatch some resources there? So I think hopefully that has addressed your question. So if, if you use it in that way, then it should be quite a useful tool and should be quite effective. What was interesting, in fact, was that we were watching CCTV camera footage, but only, <coughs> obviously, in one small part, because you can only see one sort of camera um, at a time. We were also getting the reports from the stewards um, along the, um, the route. But it was only the app that was giving us overall what was happening around the um, entire route. Uh, and one of the interesting things, a little side issue here, um, because of the Olympics, because of, of a lot of coordination work between the different um, services, this year, or rather um, the 2012 um, control center was organized in a totally different way from the 2011 one. And shall I say a better way by the City of London Corporation? Yes, yes. <laughs> it was. Uh, we were we were getting constant debriefs from everyone around the table, um, and 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 you could see how um, you know you could very very quickly respond um, if there was any kind of incident because we were getting the information from. Uh, the police, from the ambulance, etc., from fire, etc., etc. So it, it really was quite impressive. And I guess that's that's the thing about um, our, our field of work <coughs> is 
we try to we do our best to, to learn from our past experiences and try to make sure that we incorporate that learning into our next experiences. So. Well, thank you all very much for your um, presentations. Can I thank the audience for your questions and participation? And can you join with me in um, thanking the panel and bringing this session to a close? Thank you.